The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to the third Patriots Bills edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, joined with the old team, the most common team. If you had a media guide of Tim Graham and Friends uh, lineup combinations, I think this would have to hold the record. Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic also joining our usual co-host, Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. Um, Guys, uh, Patriots uh, for a threesome. Bills uh, lose the first game in Orchard Park, win the second game in Foxborough, and now they get to face each other in the first round of the playoffs. Um, Matthew, as the guest and as someone who's uh, been covering the Patriots now for what has it been? Two months now. How long have you been? With, how long have you been gone? Since September. So Although, yeah, pretty much. Well, that's true. See, I have it in my mind because you you hadn't fully you hadn't moved there permanently yet, but you've covered the Patriots all all seventeen games. Correct. I yeah. moved full time in October. That's what and I'm I was there week one. So yeah, I've been there for every yeah, game. You are. Right so you've covered camp. them all. I'm I'm thinking about you moving away permanently. All right. So um, what's your what's your synopsis uh, when you are watching the game on? Sunday. Oh, let, let's actually talk about this. Did you have any rooting interests on Sunday night uh, for what happened in that Chargers Raiders game in terms of what you wanted uh, to cover in the first round of the playoffs? I will say that as the first NFL weekend with the online betting in the state of New York being legal, heading into that game, uh, I thought that there could be a situation where the Chargers Raiders get to a point where they play for the tie. And so I put $10 on a, on a draw, as they call it, at, uh, at DraftKings to win $290. And if not for a timeout late in the game, I think I would have been $280 richer. Uh, I, I, I was pretty proud of myself for being able to see into the future that a tie was probably not the mathematical long shot that uh, whatever algorithm being used uh, would, would estimate it to be. So my rooting interest was a tie for my financial purposes. But once that didn't happen, um, I think the best storyline, at least for us, is anything to cover heading into this game is Patriots coming back to Orchard Park. And then the Bills, if Chalk wins out, would then go to Kansas City. So the two boogeymen, back-to-back, no asterisks, as uh, Joe Biscaglia mentioned in our uh, roundup that we did after the game, uh, this is not going to be an easy way to the Super Bowl for the Bills. Uh, But anyway, that's my long windup. Matthew, where are you with this? Yeah, I I would say that I... From a story perspective, I thought the Bills-Patriots round three 
was best. I, I thought that was the juiciest matchup that could possibly come out of that because it was basically the Patriots would either play the Bengals or the Bills. And I think from a matchup perspective for the Patriots, the Bengals were were better because you could argue who's better, the Bengals or the Bills, but I would say a, a quarterback playing his first playoff game in Joe Burrow uh, and you know a coach coaching in his first playoff game is better for Bill Belichick and the Patriots than a team like the Bills who have been there and done that and they have a quarterback who – is you know has played in these games but i'd say personally I, I was i thought this was the better story and it it got me back to to buffalo to see some friends and you know uh, my wife and and son and the dog are going to make the trip and and to bet you know, on we'll some sports and out of it and yeah now I, i've i had some real fomo last weekend when that went live and a friend of the show chris baker was texting me every bet that he was making and I was just sitting. I was sitting here thinking, man, uh, I, I moved away at the wrong time. Just as just as the getting was getting good out there. Well, you'll have a you'll have a little peek at it, uh, Jonah. You'll be in the press box uh, as you have been all season for the Associated Press. Uh, you'll be there on Saturday night. Uh, not not gambling because I'm a professional. Right. Well, you, you have, of course you are of pure uh, journalistic integrity. Uh, your thoughts on this matchup and then we'll dig a little bit deeper, but did you have any thoughts on what you thought was best or worst for the bills in terms of their path to glory? I thought that the Patriots are a, I don't know about easier, but a slightly better matchup for the bills. It's a team they recently beaten and maybe know how they can beat them. Even if this game will go differently than the first two matchups. And, And I, if I was a bills fan, I'd be maybe a little scared of Justin Herbert coming in here and, and, stealing a game just based off of his ability. Although I didn't think the Chargers coming all the way across coast and uh, playing in cold weather favored them. So I think the Bills should win this game regardless of who they play. I know there's Bills fans that are a little nervous about Bill Belichick and the cold weather and this game going very similar to that Monday night game that the Patriots won here in Buffalo a couple weeks ago, but I, I think the Patriots can win this game, but I don't think they're going to win it exactly the same way that that game went. Uh, I don't even think the Patriots will come in here expecting to do it exactly the same way. You know, that's just not how successful NFL coaches operate. I don't think. Uh, and then aside from that, I don't really think the matchup matters. I think the bills should win at home. And I think the real, I like what Jerry Sullivan wrote in the Niagara Gazette in his column. I think the real story and thing to celebrate here is, home playoff game with a full stadium and the buzz and the spirit around town and the week leading up to the game coming off clinching the division at home and this feeling like, you know, they ended the drought a couple of years ago, but they've had road playoff games in those seasons. Last year, there were only a few fans in the stands. It wasn't an empty stadium. So this feels like a bit like the 90s Bills again, which we haven't had, I think, in the previous playoff seasons over the last few years. Jonah, I think I, I figured out what that uh, noise is uh, on your microphone. I think your microphone oh, is hitting. Zipper? I think it's hitting your zipper on your on your hoodie okay. there. You want me so to pull just, my zipper down? Yeah, and for those, uh, yeah, for those who are listening, when I say that it, the microphone is on the zipper, it is a zipper around his neck. It is not. It is not <laughs> sub waist level zippering. Um. I think the cold is going to be a major storyline because it is an X factor in this game, particularly with how the bills lost in orchard park. The last time 
Mac Jones didn't have to throw all but three times. The Bills knew what was coming and still couldn't stop it. And yes, we can take a look at all the pride that the Bills have with having that number one defense in terms of scoring, in terms of yards, and in terms of passing defense. But as I was talking to uh, an NFL scout uh, just yesterday, uh, as I was telling him how well the Bills had done defensively, he started laughing and said, yeah, just run at them and those numbers don't matter. And he's right. Um, so the Patriots have a rushing attack. They have the offensive line. They have versatility in their backfield in terms of depth. So if they do suffer an injury like they did in Orchard Park, uh, they still have quality running backs that they can just plug in there. Maybe they do the, uh, things a little bit differently. They have their strengths. Uh, they have the different things that they do. They're not all totally interchangeable parts, but if something happens, uh, you, you, you can't, that the Patriots don't necessarily have to worry about wearing out their running backs uh, if they choose to run it 40 times. So uh, right now, the forecast, as we are uh, recording this podcast on Tuesday at 3.48 p.m., the forecast right now is a high of nine degrees. Uh, that is during the day, of course, this game kicks off at 8.15 p.m., so we're probably looking at closer to zero degrees Fahrenheit, that is, by the way, if we have those uh, uh, listeners uh, up in Canada. This is all Fahrenheit temperature. Um, throwing the ball, uh, things are a little bit different. I mean, um, you know, I was talking uh, with, uh, with Matthew just th this afternoon. We were talking about the Freezer Bowl. 40th anniversary uh, of the Freezer Bowl was yesterday, I think. Uh, in which uh, uh, I was uh, I was 10 years old at the time, and I was telling Matthew about the minus 59 degree wind chill, uh, which I don't think he'd ever heard that story before based on his uh, his reaction. Uh, but we're not going to have barehanded quarterbacks. Uh, they have muffs. Uh, they have the little heat packs that they keep in their muffs. Uh, whereas Ken Anderson just stuck his hands down the front of his pants uh, in between plays. Uh, they didn't have hand warmers. They didn't even have gloves. In fact, in that game, if you go back and look, the receivers are wearing baseball batting gloves. You know, you didn't even have the sticky gloves or even go through that era of scuba gloves. Those became popular in the mid eighties where they were wearing the scuba gloves uh, before we then gra uh, graduated to the Newmans that had the sticky, um, the, the, the sticky palms and all that stuff. Uh, so far now heaters? I've talked about, I've talked about muffs and sticky palms uh, and Jonah's uh, zipper. Uh, so a field day to be had. So anyway, I don't know that the cold matters as much as it used to. I don't think that, uh, you know, talking to uh, Ken Anderson uh, about what he did is going to apply uh, to what uh, what uh, Josh Allen or Mac Jones should do to prepare for this game. Uh, wind, of course, is going to be worse. Josh Allen was talking today about maybe even his toes are more important than his fingertips in terms of keeping them warm in this, these types of temperatures. However, um, it is a bit of a nullifier. I think it does close any gap that you may have between one way or the other between these teams. I think it makes the game that much more of a toss up. Yeah, I think that's the big thing is that not necessarily that the Patriots are better equipped to handle it, although they might be slightly because of the way that they play. I thought they handled the weather in that Monday night game a lot better. You can actually go back and see uh, there were times during, well, I guess you couldn't see it on the TV copy, but times during TV timeouts where, you know, Bill's players were huddled up on the sidelines, you know, trying to 
throw the jacket on for a few seconds or get warm and Patriots players are kind of just standing out on the field. And I think there is sort of a, a pride they take in practicing outside constantly and, you know, really, you know, battling through whatever elements, but I, I don't think that Mac Jones is, you know, going to be a sorcerer in the cold. Uh, he has never played in the game. Uh, to my knowledge, as cold as what it will be on Saturday. He hasn't done it in the NFL, and I can't imagine there was one in college. I think he played in a few bad weather games or some cold-ish games, but not like this. I think the main thing is, like you said, if it can make Josh Allen somewhat human, that's advantage Patriots. If it you know puts a damper on both passing games, the Patriots would take that sacrifice. They'd be fine with their passing game, uh, not operating at the smoothest level. If it meant that Josh Allen doesn't operate the way that he did in Foxborough, because I think even when the weather is perfect, Buffalo's defense is going to give Mac Jones a problem. If it were 70 degrees and sunny on Saturday, Mac Jones would probably have a problem with the Bills secondary. The, The Patriots in general have only thrown four touchdowns on the Bills defense since Sean McDermott took over. So whether or not that's an issue, but that includes Tom Brady, quite a few Tom Brady games. Um, And I think if Josh Allen becomes closer to the version of Josh Allen from say 2019, that opens the door for the Patriots to win this game. It needs to be a weird game for the Patriots to win. They are not, in my opinion, a better team than the Buffalo Bills. Uh, they have a rookie quarterback. They, you know, their defense is good, but, you know, I'd say it's a toss up between the Patriots defense and the Bills defense. And Bills defense ranks out better in a lot of categories. They run the ball better than the Bills do. But, you know, overall, pound for pound, uh, the best Bills players are better than the best Patriots players at the most important position. So, with how much they lean on the passing game, you know, I'd I'd like to think that Bill Belichick and his staff are hoping to see the mercury drop more and more um, on that forecast as it goes on, because the weirder it gets, the better it is for the Patriots. It'll be a shame. And I think a bit of an indictment of the roster construction and the culture of this team. If the weather hurts the bills, I mean, this is, the climate around here. They know what it is. They should be able to prepare for this. They played in bad weather several weeks this season. Uh, they, they're able to practice outside if they want to. They're, they don't have a dome. They're never going to have a dome, apparently. Uh, this should be an advantage for the Bills, or at least a neutral field. Not a neutral field, but a neutral situation, if you will, against a, another team from the Northeast. And if the Bills happen to lose this game because it was bad weather, I, I just think that's a really bad situation, especially considering the history of the Bills using that to their advantage with past teams and past years. Yeah. You know, you a just lot of people back- point to like, you know, I tweeted out some stats about Josh Allen in the cold today and people were a little upset about it. Um, it was more, it was making the point that, that we just were talking about that if it makes him human, uh, that's a good thing for the Patriots. He's had five games where it's been 31 degrees or colder. The bills are three and two in those games. Josh Allen has a 50% completion rate, 166 yards a game, six touchdowns, seven interceptions. So not the superhuman player that the Patriots saw in Foxborough a few weeks ago. And yes, 
most every quarterback and passing attack is going to be worse when it's windy, when it's snowy, when it's raining, when it's freezing cold. However, the Tim and I were talking about this earlier. Brett Favre was excellent when it got cold. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is really good when it's cold. Tom Brady was and still is terrific when it's cold. And Patrick Jim Mahomes Kelly. is Patrick Mahomes is decent. Jim Kelly w- was good. So, you know, th- that's the t- class of quarterback that Josh Allen is in, right? I mean, he is one of those those guys. I mean, nobody's Tom Brady, but Josh Allen is putting up some crazy numbers and playing like an MVP candidate two years in a row. And, you know, like you said, Jonah, this weather isn't going anywhere. Tim has reported that a dome uh, isn't, isn't coming anytime soon. So it, he needs to find some version of himself in this, this weather that Stat, by the way, those stats don't include the Monday night game against the Patriots because it was actually like 36 degrees at kickoff, even though the wind was gnarly. It didn't show up in the filter. And it also doesn't include last year against the Ravens, which was a pretty cold night, uh, that playoff game. That was like 32 degrees or 33 degrees at kickoff. He didn't play particularly well in that game either, but – I don't know. I, I don't think he's incapable of it. I think he's physically more than equipped to handle it. It might be an entire passing game issue more than it is a Josh Allen issue. Cause I was somewhat impressed with how he handled those wins when these teams played uh, in early December. The, uh, the idea of the bills as a cold weather team for me went out the window in that loss to the Indianapolis Colts, a dome team that came in and played better in the elements than the bills had. Uh, and I think that even if you want to take a look at the Atlanta Falcons game, Matt Ryan has been ordinary at best, a below average quarterback clearly at the end of his career. And he looked like the Matt Ryan of old uh, for a good chunk of that game. Uh, in Orchard Park just two weeks ago, uh, Matt Ryan threw the ball around quite a bit in the bad weather. He has only played in that. Uh, I, uh, I want to say the the stat. Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure that this is what the the um, the qualifiers were on the stat, but I think he's only played one game below freezing his entire NFL career. Um, because you play in the NFC South, you play in a bunch of domes, uh, whatever. Um, but um, and when he did play against the Bills uh, eight years ago, that game was up in Toronto in a dome. So um, he looked fine. Uh, he looked uh, like he was doing all right. In fact, he was probably better in that game than he than he had been in most of the games throughout the course of this season. So uh, to Jonah's point regarding the Bills and whether or not this could be an indictment of this roster being built, I think that we're already looking at it. This is not a this is not necessarily a team that. Um, that does well in this. They don't stop the run particularly well. They don't run particularly well. The last two games, you know, aside, Devin Singletary has played well over the last couple of games, but against inferior opposition, uh, I, it's something that I think uh, is, it's been in the back of my mind. And I mentioned this in the, uh, in the discussion, uh, the back and forth that uh, Joe Biscali and I did uh, that we posted at the athletic uh, early yesterday morning regarding the Bills' success at running the ball these last couple of games, especially with the weather the way it's going to be. I think as a Bills fan, you want to hope Sean McDermott doesn't become enamored with the idea that we can run now. 
we've established that we can run. Yeah, against the Jets and the Falcons. Um, if that creeps into plan A and becomes a major factor in the offensive game plan that he wants Brian Dable to put together for the New England Patriots, I think that becomes an issue uh, that Sean McDermott uh, would get away from the idea that Josh Allen is our plan A, maybe our plan B too. And then we'll run the ball if we have to. Uh, but the way Sean McDermott talks about how much he, he appreciates the run game and the ability to run, he did walk it back a little bit though, uh, Sunday night after the game, he didn't talk uh, two weeks ago after Atlanta, he talked to, he said, this is what you have to do. And when the weather gets like, this, this is what you have to do this time of year. You have to run the ball. That's a different, to a different sentiment than he said after the Jets game in which he said, you have to have the threat of being able to run the ball. So maybe he was inching back a little bit, but still that aspect of Sean, the way Sean McDermott thinks uh, is about winning football, about playoff football. Uh, And I I just, uh, I think that's dangerous territory for the Bills offensive game plan to get into if they decide they want to lean on the run more than they should. I will say that the Patriots have not been excellent in run defense consistently in the last month or so. They allowed 270 to the Titans in a blowout win. There was a few big runs uh, that skewed the numbers. 220-something to the Colts. Again, another big run. Jonathan Taylor iced the game with a long run. They allowed 195 to the Dolphins last week in a loss. Uh, so they've shown some some cracks, I think, in their run defense. And it's one of the aspects Ma- of this Matthew, game. Matthew, just while well, you mentioned the, uh, the, the Patriots-Dolphins game last week, you watched it. You were there. Uh, it was happening at the same time as the Bills game, so I could only check in by looking at statistically. Did you ever get a sense during that game that the Patriots weren't necessarily interested in winning that game? I did not they were down 14 nothing so quick and I could see that as a game where Bill Belichick looks at all the different permutations of of who he wants to play in the first round more so than winning this game I would say winning the division would have been nice and that's that's why the NFL put those games at the same time with the 425 kickoff they wanted both teams to want to win the game but I don't know if if Bill Belichick has has run a bunch of uh uh, sequential, um, you know, mathematical computations as to what we want to do uh, to max our first round opponent. I would say the hint perhaps that they felt a little bit that way was that Dante Hightower didn't make the trip and he's, you know, he's played through the knee injury all season long. He's been limited on the injury report, questionable on the game report and he's played. And he didn't make the trip. And when that happened on Saturday, the the Patriots, interestingly, are very, you know, everybody laughs at how ambiguous their injury report is. Everybody's questionable. Everybody's limited. But they are very quick. They're one of the few teams in the league, I've noticed, that they will declare a guy out the day before a game. They they won't make you wait until, you know, Sunday afternoon. And They'll tell you who's not on the plane. Yeah. You know, Hightower, he was out. So, and they were missing Duggar too. He missed practice all week, but when it was high tower, I thought, all right, this looks like a guy that's getting some rest. And I think perhaps to your point, I don't think they were trying to pick who they played at all because I I think they might've looked at it the same way I was looking at it when I was trying to figure out 
where the hell I was going to be wildcard weekend and said, there are 2000 different scenarios here. And a lot of it has nothing to do with what the Patriots do. They could lose and have an equal chance of playing the bills and the Bengals. They could win and have an equal chance of playing the bills and Bengals, depending what the Bengals do. And, uh, and so it's possible that they looked at it like that and said, you know, maybe, you know, this game doesn't matter. Now, Bill Belichick was pretty pissed off about how they played. I don't think they, you know, threw the game by any means, but they were down 14, nothing early. And I, I get, I hadn't really thought about it until you said that, but it's possible that they maybe kept a few things in their back pocket and said, we're not going to empty the playbook and throw all our best stuff out there on offense when we know we've possibly got a division game coming up next week. So I don't know if they were scoreboard watching and wondering about, Hey, the bills are having a tough time with the jets. You know, I don't, I don't really know, but the high tower thing kind of tipped me off to like, yeah, they want to win the game, but they also, they got the playoff spot and there's so many scenarios that, you know, trying to figure out who you were going to play didn't really matter. It was most likely going into the week, 70% chance going to be either the Bengals or the bills. So I think they probably understood that as much as the NFL wanted it to seem like so much was on the line, regardless of what they did in that game, it was going to be a bit of a toss up. How much breathless chatter was there in your press box about the playoff permutations? Cause here in Orchard Park, it was like babbling nonstop after every play about what this meant for the wildcard matchups. I was not in the press box last week. I was still on the, uh, the COVID-19 oh. reserve list. Um, there was some talk about it during the, the week, but I think a lot of people realized probably as I did, like there were so many different, a lot of it hinged on that Sunday night game. So obviously everybody knew that if the, the Patriots won and the bills lost, the Patriots would win the division. But um, there was a little bit of chatter heading into the week of like, all right, who, who should the Patriots want to play? Not as if they had a ton of control over it, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was was breathless chatter. I think there was more discussion over like what the hell happened to this team in Miami? What the hell happened to this team in the last month? You know, basically since that Bills game on Monday Night Football, they haven't been the same team. They had the bye week. They lost three out of four coming out of the bye week. And the and Colts game, isn't that when it turned for them? Or, or do you think it yeah, that, later? that was right out of the bye week. They had a bye after that Monday night game against the Bills. They went on the road to play the Colts on a Saturday night game, got beat pretty handily. And then the Bills visited the following weekend, beat them pretty handily. They crushed the Jaguars. And, you know, there, it was like, all right, maybe they this was their get right game. They got their their mojo back and then they go and they lose to the Dolphins. So it's been a weird month. Uh, Mac Jones has not played particularly well. I think at times the defense hasn't played particularly well. Third downs have been an issue. The run defense, as I mentioned, has been a bit of a problem. So I don't know, I'm curious to see if they can snap out of it because so much of the Patriots' mystique is that, you know, you assume they have that ability, but they also used to have Tom Brady and a lot of different players, and they now have Mac Jones. And I don't know if he can just snap out of it and start playing like a superstar, but I do think Bill Belichick and the staff – can 
maximize their chances to win a weird one. And I think they need to win a weird one if they're going to win on Saturday night. Jonah, give, give us your thoughts. What, where are you with uh, the bills in this matchup? Um, after watching the, the first two games, I don't know. Do we throw that first game out because of the weather conditions or do may, maybe we put no. more weight on that game because of what is coming. And, and I guess the, the wind isn't necessarily going to be a factor, but can, maybe it's not quite apples to apples to compare bitter cold and gusty winds. Um, but maybe there's something to apply in terms of what, how the Patriots might uh, approach zero degrees. Well, I think that game's relevant because it shows that if it is a bit of a ground and pound smash mouth game because of the weather, that that favors the Patriots. And if that game had never happened and you were only going on the results of the other game that the Bills and the Patriots play, you'd be thinking this is going to be an easy game for the Bills. They won that game in New England the way they did, and now they're playing at home. But I don't think this game is going to go exactly like either one of those games. When teams, common opponents play each other, they make adjustments and come up with new game plans and try to win a different way because the other team has scouted the film and you just, that's not a smart way to play football to try to go out there and win with all the exact same plays and strategies that you used before. So it'll be about that little bit of a chess match and maybe some of it will come down to who does what they already did do well and has the confidence to go in there and, and do what the other team might be expecting and saying, we can just beat you play in our game. But I think the home field advantage should favor the Bills. It should favor just about all of the teams playing at home this coming weekend. It traditionally has favored teams in the playoffs. The weather, maybe that doesn't help the Bills, but I think the crowd and the spirit in the crowd, I do wonder if the weather might and the night game might subdue the crowd in some ways. It might make it a little bit hard to have that energy going into the second half and the fans and the noise and things like that. But maybe the alcohol will play into that and, and help in that regard. I think the Bills should win this game, and it'll be a disappointment if they don't. Mac Jones is a rookie quarterback. Uh, rookie quarterbacks don't usually play well in the playoffs. Some do, and usually when they do, they turn out to be Hall of Fame-level players. I wonder if Mac Jones is maybe hitting a bit of a rookie wall. He was playing very well, and now he's not playing as well the last few weeks. If teams have figured things out about him or playing this many games this long into the season, this long into the cold weather, is affecting him and his confidence in some way. The Patriots have been a team that kind of overachieved all season long, so maybe they found their level a little bit in the way that they're struggling lately. The Bills should be favored, and the Bills should win. And if they don't, unless it's an injury that really makes it hard for them to win, if Josh Allen goes out on the first play of the game, I think it'll be a tremendous disappointment if the Bills don't win. I'm going to disagree with one point that Jonah made. He made a lot of points. All good. Um uh, and I, I, I'm going to slightly disagree with home field advantage favoring the Bills. And this is getting into the weeds probably a little bit. I think weather is one component where I think the weather will help New England uh, because of the reasons that we mentioned. The, the Patriots have also been better on the road this season than they have been at home. I don't know if it's just who they played at home and who they played on the road, but the Bills, this is something I've observed that's hard to measure, hard to put your finger on. The Bills at home are a little bit different late in the season. I, I feel like there's a, I don't know, it, it almost feels like they have more pressure on them 
when they're playing in front of the home crowd and all the expectations that come around with it all week, they get asked about how crazy the crowd's going to be and the best fans and this and that. I don't know if it's anything conscious on their part, but there might be something where it's like, man, we don't want to let these guys down. And when you're on the road, there was something about the bills in that game in Foxborough where on Christmas day, you're packing up, kissing the family goodbye, jumping on a plane turning off Christmas, Christmas is over, you're on the road, you against the world, nobody believes in you, they're, they're walking off the field, you know, screaming about Boston and Patriots fans and Josh Allen saying, I don't know who the F they thought I was. And there's a certain thing about the Bills on the road that feeds into that underdog mantra that they have, as opposed to playing at home. I'm not saying it's a disadvantage for them to play at home. I just don't sense a massive home field advantage against this particular team. If it were like the Chargers, I would agree that coming into that stadium is weird and unique for players who haven't done it. And for especially quarterbacks playing in that weather with that crowd against Sean McDermott's defense or Leslie Frazier's defense. Sorry. Uh, Got to give the credit where it belongs. Um, It's kind of like Bill Belichick in that, that's why I thought the Bengals were a better matchup. Like Joe Burrow in his first playoff game up against Bill Belichick. I liked Belichick's chances. I like McDermott's chances against most quarterbacks that they go up against. And especially at home because it's a weird stadium. The wind can be a little weird and the crowd can be crazy. But I think the way the Patriots play, the fact that they had a certain galvanizing of effect like being in that stadium david andrews warming up with no sleeves like they had a had themselves a hell of a time in that stadium uh, last month and sports psychology be- as it is sometimes it's easier and i've written stories about this it's easier to motivate a player by being the underdog than it is to be the alpha male uh, it is easier to convince a player that nobody believes in you go out and show them Nobody wanted you. Nobody recruited you. Um, you know, just that, uh, that mentality of I'm going to show them. I'm going to shove it up their ass versus here I am. Come and get me. I don't care. You know, it's like, uh, you know, there's only a handful of people that can pull that off. You know, Mike Tyson walking into the ring with no robe and just his black trunks and his black shoes and no socks and, you know, uh, all that type of stuff. Um, just, all right, here Even I am. The good Come teams. Even the good teams, we've joked about this before, Bill Belichick accepting Lombardi trophies and saying nobody believed in them. Right. That was the lead to my story back that I wrote about. It's like, yeah, everybody wrote us off. Like, no, no one ever wrote you off. But they they convinced themselves. Documentary series about how he's been counted out his whole career and nobody ever really thought he was any good. And and he's just proven the doubters wrong day after day, year after year. They will make up, they will make up perceived, they will make up things to be pissed off about. Uh, to yeah. shoot that that you wrote that you that you overlooked me or you took me for granted. That's definitely last been a night, thing the, with this uh, Bills team. Last night, Nick Saban before the national title game, they got one question in with each coach before kickoff, and he was like, "This is a chance for our team to gain some respect." I'm like Alabama needs to gain res- Like, what the hell are you talking about? But that's what they do. They they psych themselves up, and I think even the Patriots all those years, maybe it wasn't so much a nobody believes in us. It's everybody hates us. 
And that, that was their own little underdog thing. It was like, everybody thinks we're cheaters or, you know, everybody's looking for reasons to poke holes in what we've done. Let's go show them. And you could convince yourself you're an underdog that way, but it's certainly the mindset that has helped this Patriots team. They were two and four. They kept talking all year about having the two and four mindset. And it's definitely a hundred percent the way this Bills team has built themselves. I mean, they've built themselves on a lot of players who were in fact overlooked and they, you know, really play into that often in their locker room messaging. There were times we would walk in the locker room when we were still allowed in the locker room after a game and Micah Hyde would be yelling about how everybody picked against him. And you'd be like, Hey dude, I picked you this week. And he'd be like, yeah, well, every, everybody else was picking again. It's like, no, like 80% of the reporters picked you to win. It's like, well, I'm talking about the, you know, all they need is a few, you know, like if it's like, Hey, you're favored by seven points in this game. Yeah. But nobody's picking us. You know, it's like they, they yeah. find a way to, to make that who they are. And I think that's where, even the Bills this year, after that Bucks game, they turned it around. I think part of that was because at that point, everybody was dumping on them. They had a little more material to actually make themselves believe people were counting them out because I think a lot of people were. Did Jerry Sullivan pick them to win the Super Bowl? And they're kind of pinning his face up in the locker room like he's their biggest doubter. Whatever works, right? Uh, Lindy Ruff, the great Buffalo Sabres coach, used to prefer, and I know we're talking different sports and different formats, but he used to prefer starting playoff series on the road, meaning being the lower seed, because he was confident enough in his team, and he was a master manipulator, a great sports psychologist. All we got to do is win one of these two games, and all of a sudden now we're in the driver's seat. You know, We'll start off on the road. And then we'll come back home and we can maybe even win it at home. And he was always, he has a great playoff record. Um, and then of course he would switch it once they were uh, really good in 06 and 07, he would talk about how great it is to be starting at home. But I knew he was trying, he was chewing his tongue off while trying to, to make that point because he knew it was what he had to say. Uh, but he preferred to start on the road. Uh, and it was, again, it was a, it was a sports psychology thing. It was all a head trip with his players and he was just able to hit those buttons. Um, while we're talking about hockey and I know that Matthew uh, covers it here, or at least I should say follows it uh, with his hockey background and then being in Boston, Jack Eichel spoke for the first time today, uh, talked about his recovery from his neck surgery and how it's gone as smoothly as he thought it was going to about he went out to dinner the night of his uh, his neck surgery. Everything's going great. He feels like he's almost uh, back to normal. Um, you know, Joan, I know that you're covering the game tonight, and it's the Sabers and the Lightning. It's not it's not Vegas, uh, but I know that uh, you know you're around uh, the Sabers. You're around the arena. Uh, I think it's interesting how Sabers fans are going to handle this Jack Eichel storyline from now until he retires, I'm not talking about just now, but um, you know, the, uh, you know, the buyer's remorse of a trade. If, uh, if he gets great, uh, how many fans, how many more fans I should say are going to hate the team for refusing to let him have this surgery. um, If he plays well for Vegas, you're shaking your head there. Well, my sense is that it, it, There'll be some of that, but I think that only comes into play if 
Eichel leads Vegas to the cup or, or has tremendous success in Vegas while the Sabres still are at the bottom of the league. I think if Alex Tuck and Peyton Krebs and the other young players that they brought in, if the Sabres have success, I think it'll be looked at kind of like the Michael Pekka trade. A lot of Sabres didn't, a lot of Sabres fans didn't like how that played out, but it didn't linger on for years and years afterwards. They got over it because other good players came in and other successes that the Sabres had. And I think, I think a lot of Sabres fans were sick of Jack Eichel, sick of the fact that they really never won with him and some of his attitude. I, I, the only problem I think that could arise is if the players that the Sabres got back for Jack Eichel turn out to not be very good. And you question whether the Sabres handled that Jack Eichel situation well, if they should have let him get that surgery and that would have increased his trade value. But if, if even just one of the players they got in return for Jack Eichel, including with the draft picks that they get, turns into something that you can hang your hat on in a few years, I don't think people will still be ruining the Jack Eichel trade unless he turns into you know the best player in the league. I'm curious to see how he plays, like given the surgery and how – the Sabres really made it seem extremely risky and controversial to get that surgery. And if he comes out and has, you know, picks up where he left off and has a long career, then I think, yeah, to Jonah's point, it's, it's fair to poke holes in how the whole situation was handled. Now it's hard to do that until you get the sample size of how long can this guy play and the whole thing. But I find him to be, one of the most interesting players in the sport right now because of how everything went down. And it's not necessarily a good thing for the Sabres that he's now become one of the most interesting players in the sport because of a feud that they kind of started, but people seem pretty, pretty pleased with the guys that they got back. Um, and early returns at least seem like they're, different you know types of guys and you know they're trying to build the thing a little bit differently that's the way it always is with a trade though and jonah used the example of michael pekka you know when when they traded for tim Connolly and and uh, taylor pyatt people would take a look at how young they were and how high of a draft how high draft picks they were and oh take a look at taylor pyatt he's massive he's gonna be the next todd bertuzzi uh and he was more of a uh play he he disliked contact more than tim Connolly did i think uh, but yeah, in the beginning, you take a look and, it, and you're looking and it's perfect. You're, it's the optimal return you're going to get. And then you will see how it shakes out. But yeah, they both say, they're saying the right things. Tuck, of course, had, with his local ties, uh, the Sabres getting in return a player who wanted to be in Buffalo, or at least is saying all the right things. Uh, unlike uh, uh, Eric Stahl, who was traded here against his will and uh, at gunpoint. Uh, but at least they got a guy that they knew was going to want to be here. Um, so, yeah, they're saying the right things. They're doing the right things. There's enough There's enough upside, uh, untapped potential in, regarding this trade uh, that is yet to come that uh, Sabres fans can look at it and hope. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that Jack Eichel's, you know, uh, and also, as Jonah mentioned, moving on, turning the page is probably healthy for this organization, even if it does hurt uh, if you're a Sabres fan to watch Jack Eichel have any kind of success. Let's say he doesn't even win a Stanley Cup, but he's a steady 30-goal-a-year player. Um, you're going to look at that and say, that should be our guy. Um, however, he had to go. 
like we had to move if, if he wasn't going to, it got to the point and it's a shame that it got to that point, but it did get there to where a change had to be made and we needed to hit the reset button. And uh, as, as much as we say, we want to think that we won the tank because we got our player. This is exactly the thing that the, the anti-tankers were warning us why you shouldn't tank. Yeah. You won your guy, you got your top two guy. And that's what a lot of the, uh, the revisionists uh, who were for the tank say, well, no, the tank worked. Well, no, because all the people who are saying the tank won't work is that there are too many other moving parts and variables that you can't bank on it. And that is what turned out to be true. Um, yes, they got the player they wanted, but too many variables, just too many friggin' variables uh, to bank on any one player, especially in a sport like hockey, maybe in the NBA. And, and even there, uh, it hasn't necessarily worked. People are Sabres fans first, and we're Jack Eichel fans second. So as long as the Sabres make progress and have good players and good seasons in the future, I don't know how many people will really worry about what happens with Jack Eichel. But if the Sabres are last in the league in a couple of years and Jack Eichel's lifting the Stanley Cup over his head, then it'll be a lot like that Ryan O'Reilly trade where, you know, a lot of Sabres fans wanted to see Ryan O'Reilly get traded. But when the return wasn't so good and, and he had success in St. Louis, then people were really upset about how that played out. It's kind of like um, years ago, Jeff Carter and Mike Richards got shipped out of Philly, won a Stanley Cup like right away with the Kings. And, you know, everybody's just sitting there like, ah, it's like they had to go, but did they have to? Like, whose fault was it that they had to go, you know? And you only do that when you're ruminating over your, your own lousy hockey team and wondering why it's so lousy while the other guys are lifting the Stanley Cup. I think more than anything, what Sabres fans, hockey fans in Buffalo need is a team worth talking about, a team worth, like, you know, being excited about, a team that wins. I mean, it is amazing how, how long they've been so bad. And so you'll divert your attention any way you can and get angry about all sorts of things if you sit and think about that team and watch that team long enough. And it seems like they're showing a little bit more life and they're trying to build it. I don't want to say the right way because who knows, um, a different way at least. And man, hopefully it works out for the sake of everybody who loves hockey there because right now I think the bigger thing that is opening my eyes is like how few people are going to games and you know the way people are responding the t- with even their though lives. they're not winning a lot of games they're still they're at least scoring goals i mean that's what you want to go you want to go and sit and, and see some plays be made and that was what was happening when ralph Kruger was the coach they were losing and not making any entertaining plays well at least now you're getting some value for your entertainment dollar and but fans are Fans are that fed up with it, I guess. And I think the pandemic probably also, it's like it knocked you out of your momentum of, it was just habit, right? You go to the Sabres game. It's wintertime and, you know, it's one of the events that you do. It's like a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon or a Tuesday and there's nothing else to do. And you go to a Sabres game. Well, the pandemic, you know, you sit home long enough and then you're whether you're cautious about going out because of the virus or whatever it it kind of knocked people out of their habits of yeah do a we lot of really things. have to go to this game you know what we don't we don't need to right. subject you, ourselves to this torture <laughs> we do. yeah it's like you reassess what you what you put back into your life when you take everything out like that like a lot of people did you know during you know everybody's sitting at home 
and you're starting to put things back in, you say, do I need to put the sabers back in? They're still no good. Well, now I need to, you know, either show a negative test for a while was the thing to get in or, you know, show my vaccine card or whatever else, jump through, jump through hoops and it costs money and it's not a thing. It's not cool right now. Nobody's there. There's no atmosphere. The team has, hasn't given you, they haven't earned the benefit of the doubt and they haven't really given fans a reason to, to show up. And I'm curious how, you know, ownership will respond to try to win them back or if they've resigned themselves to, there's nothing they can really do until the team wins. And it's not as if the Pagulas are actively trying to lose other than that one year um, where that sort of was the aim. Uh, it's not like they're trying to build a sustainable, lousy team for as long as they possibly can. But that's really the answer. You can have all the smart marketing and business people that you want. But if your team sucks for long enough, this is what happens, even in a hockey crazy market. And to, to this season, at least, or to this point, at least, they haven't really cut the prices and tried to find ways to paper the house and get fans in the door in the hope that they'll have a good time and come back. They're still trying to get, you know, max prices, the same prices that they were trying to get in the past years. And you look at maybe how reliant the Sabres business model was on Canadian fans, Sabres fans that were just across the border and, and Leafs fans and, and other Canadians that would come to the Sabres games just to watch NHL hockey. Maybe they weren't diehard Sabres fans and the bills being good. A lot of the Sabres best seasons, especially from a fan support and, and fan energy standpoint came during years when the bills were forgettable and a lot of casual fans turned their attention to the Sabres and the bills being good, the season lasting longer into January, I think is keeping people from wanting to pay attention and care about the Sabres. That's exactly true. It is. Uh, that's an old Buffalo sports calendar. I don't know. Tradition's the right word, but uh, it's like when, you know, they say that the all-star game in baseball is the midpoint of the season, even though it technically it isn't, or uh, when winter begins uh, in, you know, when December comes around, even though it's not until the, the whatever, the 21st, the 22nd, uh, Hockey season doesn't begin in Buffalo until the Bills are done playing, traditionally. Or when the Bills uh, and, are eliminated from the playoffs, really. Right, it, right. When the, give up on the Bills. Right, when the Bills are done playing meaningful games. That's So in many respects, the Sabre season hasn't really started yet because nobody's paying attention to it. Um, Matthew, thanks for doing this. Uh, appreciate you joining us uh, and talking about the Patriots, giving us your thoughts on them heading into this uh, third matchup, the rubber match. Uh, against the Bills. I have a quick um, question for Matt before we get yeah. out of here. I want to know how he's going to time his morning sunlight and cold exposure on Saturday so that he's ready to write on deadline Saturday night. It's a great question. I did not get – I fell out of my morning sun routine when I got COVID and I had to stay in one room of the house and I was That'll trying happen. to not leave that room very often to avoid – uh, getting my wife and son sick. So now I need to, I don't, I don't know the, the science, you might be able to help me on this. If I get my morning sun later, will that help me stay? I can never adjust myself for night games. I'm terrible at it. If I were a player and one of my most important games were at night, I would, you know, be totally screwed. I always end up getting like migraine headaches and, um, the next day is always just terrible. Now, 
the difference is players end the game at what 11 15 and they go home and they can go to sleep 11 15 is like when work starts essentially for us it's um it's rough so i don't know i'm gonna have to probably get my morning sun a little later uh, a little later in the day although i didn't really want to go outside today it's very cold the key is that it needs to be consistent from day to day and this is my scientific expertise here but um, so maybe if you start doing that uh, early in the week, you might be adjusted by Saturday or, you know, I think it's an issue. I mean, it is hard to go from covering early games and being mentally focused on one o'clock starts. And then the night games seem to start way later in the day. And I, I think it's harder to be focused on deadline at night, unless you're a real night owl and you, and you thrive in those kind of situations. Good for Timmy here. He likes the nighttime. He does, he does his, uh, yep. Morning sun for Timmy is like 1 p.m. Uh, that's van- so. <laughs> that's vampiristic type stuff. Yeah, I'll avoid the sun. Um, it is interesting. It gives me – I feel like there are little moments in my life where I kind of just like – I don't know. I Sometimes I feel like I cannot relate to aspects of the people that I cover in any way. Of course, they're all people. There's all – there's – you know, you can connect human to human with – coaches, players, front office people, but there are elements of the football life that are just foreign to the rest of the world. But there's times where I'm like, oh, this night game really kicked my ass. I wonder what it did to those guys. You know, like um, they had to play. I just had to sit there uh, and I have a headache. What about those guys? Like they, they must be in tough shape or even moving this year. I was like, man, I you look at a coach's bio and he's in like seven teams in 10 years. And I'm like, geez, like doing this once, like, took years off my life. Like these guys picking up and moving all over the place all the time. Like what a way to live. I don't know. But so I, I like to look for those little human moments. I don't know. Somebody needs to ask Sean McDermott about uh, sunlight exposure. Cause I feel like he'll probably the sports science department over there has probably studied when it's best to have the players get their, their morning sunlight. But if you're coaching and you're in the film room, 18, 19 hours a day, you're probably not getting a healthy exposure to sunlight and fresh air outside. What do you guys uh, remember? You guys remember a couple of years ago, it was going around social media about making sure you got sunlight on your anus. Um, I don't mean the planet, I don't mean the planet, but you know, there were pictures all over the place of people, you know, pulling their knees up to their chest, uh, you know, out in Sedona or whatever, so they could get sunlight on their, on their buttholes. You got uh, I you, believe guys, in that. you guys practice that, don't you? I don't practice it, but I have read that sunlight on your testicles can be good for your testosterone production. And I don't necessarily practice it, but if I could find a way to properly do that, I, I might experiment with it. I always wonder when, when there's studies like that, how they get the data. How do you, how do you get enough reliable data? To, and who has out? the hypothesis to begin with? We're like, we think this might be good for you. So let's have X number of people be our control group. Uh, there's going to be a thousand people that we're going to convince to get sunlight on their testicles. And we're going to measure. And to let it. us observe, uh, let us observe right. the process to make sure you're doing it right. It sounds like an episode of Black Mirror. Um, let's just get everybody together. And yeah, it's for science. I think generally being outside and being in the sun is it, it's way biologically our bodies are kind of hardwired but like you also don't want to be out in the sun like it goes back to those other 
uh, you know, science experimental sunscreen. He doesn't believe in sunscreen uh, because, but you know, he's getting all this morning sunlight. So I don't know. He's got to be careful. Yeah. You got to modulate it. You don't want to get sunburned, everything in moderation, even if it's on your nether regions, but a little bit of sun is good. The sun's healthy. It's healthy for humans and every other organism and animal. I did what, your dog, what about bats? Does your, does your dog go out and make sure that the sun gets on its crotch in, in the morning? And <laughs> I don't know. It, you can learn a lot from your pets. I did, did appreciate today. You know, Twitter is just terrible uh, in most every single way. No matter what I tweet, somebody's angry at me, it seems like. And everybody was angry about the Josh Allen stats I shared. And uh, I did appreciate Jonah responding that, you know, prolonged cold exposure is, uh, has a lot of physiological benefits. It gave me a nice chuckle uh, and, you know, really lightened the mood. Um, hopefully others felt the same. As we went back and forth, I was wondering how many people were sitting there looking at us go back and forth thinking that, you know, we're having a serious, serious discussion. About, I wonder, uh, you, this might be something you might want to ask Bill Belichick on on Friday, that he might give you a 45 minute answer about morning sunlight and cold exposure and how that's benefited him and his football coaching over the years. He doesn't strike next- me as a guy that gets a lot of morning sun, <laughs> but I don't know, maybe he does. He has a tremendous amount of energy. That's a, a thing about Bill Belichick that, you know, legend has told over the years, you know, in these various books that are written about him and the Patriots is that Bill Belichick has like an abnormal amount of energy. And I don't think he's a big coffee guy. He's just like, for whatever reason, he's maybe it's just because he loves football and loves what he does, but he's just like, he's got an uh, abnormal amount of energy. He doesn't need as much sleep as the rest of us. It's possible he's secretly getting morning sunlight and that's what he does. On cold days before games, he'll he'll be out there in shorts. So he does seem to think getting some cold exposure is helpful. Might be onto something. For those who aren't attending the game and want to get around some other people, consider uh, Amherst Pizza and Alehouse. You can watch all the college and pro football games, the pay-per-views, everything there at the Amherst Pizza and Alehouse at 55 Cross Point Parkway in Getzville. That's right off of Millersport Highway in the 990. Amherst Pizza and Alehouse, a ton of TVs. And on, well, maybe when it's a little warmer than zero degrees outside, uh, they do have heaters out on the patio. So you can actually watch the games uh, out of doors, even during the winter. Uh, I would I would suggest uh, wait for temperatures to get a little more milder. Recognized by ESPN.com as Western New York's top spot to watch sports. Uh, as uh, we've mentioned on here a bunch of times before, Jonah Brownstein and I go there to watch the games when we're done covering the games, uh, the Bills on Sunday. Stop in uh, or call for takeout and delivery, 716-625-7100. Again, for uh, takeout and delivery, 716-625-7100. Amherst Pizza and Alehouse. It would be a good marketing ploy if they showed the game outside on Saturday. And said, you know, you can't be standing out there in the cold. Come stand out in the cold with us and be a real fan. Yeah, and find out exactly what the players are going through. Yeah. Have they can a get real a, get a jugs immersive machine, experience. Get a jugs machine and fire some some dukes at you uh, at, at 60 miles an hour so you can find out what it feels like to catch a Josh Allen pass in, in zero degrees. Watching the game in the cold is probably worse than playing. 
the Bills have heaters and different ways to warm up at halftime and moving around and stuff like that. And I don't know if you've ever attended a Bills game on a bad weather day and the wind's whipping in your face, but to me, it was maybe the most miserable experience of my life. I did it once for a story when they were playing the Browns in December and tickets were like $6 and it was just disgustingly cold out. And I thought, who the hell would sit up there? And so I went up there and sat up there and never, never would want to do that again. Uh, I don't know how people do it, but especially in the upper deck, I think when it's down lower, I think when there's a lot of people around, it gets, you know, it insulates you a little bit, but you got to be well prepared with hand warmers, feet warmers. It's just, it's not my cup of tea. I, I respect everyone who, who does it and who, you know, finds enjoyment in it. They probably feel, I, I imagine most people don't enjoy it. I, I don't know. I that think that they don't go there to watch the, the game as much as they go there to say, I was at the, I did it, that I was at the game. It's almost like the adventure of it more than being, being able to watch a football game. I also think there's an element of feeling like the team needs them. All right. Like they need to be there Yeah, because of the reputation that they've established as an unruly fan base as a great home field advantage and everything else. I think there's probably more a sense of purpose on Saturdays like this one than there are, you know, September Sundays where you're like, I'm doing my part to help the team. It's like, it's got to feel a little bit like an obligation on Saturday in part, because like you said, <laughs> you're like, I got to be there. This is my team. I got to say I was there when they beat the Patriots in the playoffs, but also the boys might need me to beat the Patriots in the playoffs. You know, if nobody, if everybody had the attitude that we have, it'd be a lousy atmosphere and everybody would be making fun of Bill's fans. They say, hey, look at this home playoff game. Nobody's in the stands. So you they've got a reputation. End. Yeah. Got to do their part. Matthew, thanks for doing this. Great for you to come by and, and, uh, and join the, the crew. And uh, Jonah, Thank you, as always, uh, for being so flexible. Sometimes uh, these are not very well thought out or scheduled. Uh, occasionally, I reach out to Jonah and say, hey, can you podcast in 10 minutes? And he's uh, generally there to do it. Sometimes he can't. But, uh, if I got my morning sunlight, I'm usually more eager to do it. Well, everybody came to play today, and uh, I'm appreciative. Uh, and thanks to everyone out there for making Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs, and business consultants a part of your day. Sunlight or no sunlight. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400 and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.